Hello, hello, happy Monday. I am Natasha Mascarenas and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. Yes, it is Monday, December 12th, 2022. And instead of our usual Monday episode, we're trying something a little different, which is we're bringing you something from the TechCrunch podcast family, TechCrunch Pod, a weekly news roundup of some of the latest stories from the TC writers who covered it. So think more the notebook and why they covered it than Equity's fast hot takes that you've come to love. It's something different, but it's something great. So stay tuned. And for the rest of the week, you will hear the Equity that you know and love. Enjoy. Hi, I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. This is the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, we have Taylor Hatmaker on to talk about Lenza AI, and then we'll hear from some attendees at the TC Sessions Space event. But first, I'll break down the biggest stories in tech. New rules at Facebook owner Meta forbid employees from talking about sensitive subjects like abortion, gun control, pending legislation, and vaccine efficacy at work. An internal memo circulated at the company says it's intended to help employees focus on delivering their goals, and a spokesperson said it's about, quote, reducing distractions. Cutting off expression of values in the workplace definitely bucks the trend of the last few years, particularly in Silicon Valley, which has generally swung towards bringing your whole self to work. Similar attempts at internal policies at Basecamp and Coinbase faced criticism earlier this year. More about this from Amanda Silberling on TechCrunch. In a deeply weird move, Amazon has introduced a means to tip your delivery driver $5 during the holiday season. Amazon is picking up the cost up to a maximum of the first 1 million tips, but the weird part is that you have to say, Alexa, thank my driver to trigger the action. This, of course, requires that you have an Alexa-enabled device in the house somewhere. Despite the apparent feel-good vibes this was meant to deliver, it's generating a lot of scrutiny regarding Amazon's pay scale and policies around worker organization. Check out more on TC from Amanda Silberling. Salesforce's executive leadership drama extends into another week with news that Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield will be leaving the company in January. Butterfield's departure comes hot on the heels of the shocking news that Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor would be leaving, which itself was followed immediately by word that Salesforce-owned Tableau was losing its CEO, Mark Nelson. Of course, all these top executives and heads of acquired companies are already rich and have no need to continue working, but it's still bizarre to see so many key people leave all at essentially the same time. Read more about this on TechCrunch from Ron Miller. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission is suing to block Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Microsoft said it intended to buy the gaming giant nearly a year ago in January 2021. Specifically, the FTC takes issue with the impact the deal would have on potential competitors to Microsoft's Xbox and cloud gaming businesses. Predictably, Microsoft is counter-arguing that somehow buying up one of gaming's largest developers is good for competition rather than bad. Read all about it from Taylor Hatmaker on TechCrunch. First up, I talk with Taylor Hatmaker about Lenza AI and the possible ramifications for creators. Hey, Taylor. Hello. How's it going? It's all right. How are you? Good. I'm just living a non-AI generated life thus far. Or maybe I'm not. I don't know. Maybe I'm the product of AI generation. That's like a new... Yeah, that's what you think. (laughs) (laughs) It's the life is a simulation theory extended. Life is actually an AI generation right yeah. i think i'm the first one to say that so give me all the money when you make movies out of that or whatever listener this feels like a, a really generative prompt that you would even respond to so mm-hmm. i buy it yeah and taylor can have half the money too i've just decided right now so that's so nice Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> but we're here to talk about one expression of that we're here to talk about lenza ai 
and specifically some of the some of the complications, some of the blowback, some of perhaps the positive complications too, or the positive outcomes that have resulted since this has been out. It's been out what about a week now or something, or maybe a bit more than that. Well, just this feature, but. Yeah, they pushed the feature, I think, at this point, probably like a week and a half ago. And I would say like mid last week is when this like really started taking off and like charting in the app store. Mm-hmm. And so the feature we're speaking of specifically is a AI image generation that uses as its inputs. Well, is the data set, and that's what we'll get into, is called from kind of just the web and includes many, many images, probably thousands, if not millions of images. And then what you do as a user of this app is you input your own. So profile pictures or just photos, selfies, photos of yourself. I think it asks for ten between 10 and 20. And then it generates, depending on how much you're willing to pay, a number of AI generated profile image outputs in the style of art. I don't know. (laughs) They look painterly or they look illustrated, I guess is the simple way to say it. And then they have a lot of like sci-fi kind of vibes and other things going on, which I don't know how they've selected those, but they definitely appeal to me and I think many others. But what's the issue, Taylor, that you addressed specifically in the article you wrote about this week? There are a lot of issues. This is like an interesting one for a lot of reasons. I, I wrote about it because I thought this is the first time that like your average person who isn't like chained to Twitter like you and I, or like, you know, typing into, you know, a generative AI chatbot all week is actually run into a tool like this. Probably that's my mm-hmm. guess. And it's definitely the first time that most of those people have paid basically a robot to make art. Yeah. You know, and I don't think people, people were like, like you're saying the images, you know, they're, they're designed to generate certain styles. And that's one of the whole big controversies too, with these models in general. So you're like, oh, wow, shit. Like my friend has this awesome looking avatar. It looks like you're in Star Wars. You know, they're really good. They are. That's the thing. Like they're just very good. And like you were saying earlier, like, you know, these models are actually trained on billions of images. So like Mm. this one alone is like 2.3 billion English language captioned images, like the data set that's drawing on. So they're very sophisticated. It's drawing from a lot, a lot of visual imagery. So they basically like make you a really badass looking avatar, but then everyone did it and was like, hell yeah, I look awesome. You know, there's like a, <laughs> it's like gendered too, which is kind of funny. There's like a girl one and a boy one. And like, a you don't identify as either of those ones. Right. So like, if you do the girl one, you get like these beautiful floral images. You do the boy one, you look like an action hero. They're very good. And then everyone did it and was like, oh shit. Like my friends are, I have a bunch of friends who are like artists or illustrators uh-huh. and I've never paid them for this. Right. You know, so a lot of people had to kind of reflect on the ethics of all of this in this big moment that happened kind of simultaneously online, mostly on Instagram, but also on TikTok. Yeah. And that's like first level. The first level is like, oh, wow. Like I know people who do this for a living and I had never even considered throwing them a, I don't know who's on the face of your $10 bill. I just realized I was going to try to be cool. <laughs> Do I? Maybe not. Because like, you don't say like a Benjamin or something. I don't know who it would be. But anyways, you're not throwing them 10 bucks for anything. Right. And you're more than willing to go like, okay, cool. Like in-app purchase done. Give me these images. Right. I really want to see them. But that what it adds and what you address in the article is like it's complicated even further by the fact that the images that it's using to do this are the images that these artists have created previously, right? And have shared on the web, you know, for the purposes of promoting their own businesses or, you know, or for just artistic expression, but like not with the intent of making themselves redundant. That's for sure. Yeah, the the data set is so huge. I think people really had a hard time wrapping their heads around this. And even those of us who've been following this stuff have a hard time wrapping our heads around it. Like this is, it's not just a lot of images. It is like the entire visual internet Mm -hmm. in this instance. You know, it's like a better way to think about it is like, 
It's not like somebody fed a, it's not as much as somebody like was like, oh, here's a bunch of cool images. Let's like feed it into this AI generator. You can do that with the models. Like, you know, you're like, I want a Star Wars looking one. You can like create a model that does that. And arguably these ripoff artists too. That's like another conversation kind of. But it, this is like a cross section of the internet period. It's like somebody just like took a, a like one of those like, you know, little cake server things and like got a chunk of the internet and then like served it <laughs> into, it's like, it's just so much. It's hard to even comprehend. Yeah. It's like, it's all kinds of stuff too. Andy Bayo who's actually a friend of mine and a brilliant, really thoughtful person, um, has been blogging about the origins of some of this stuff in general. And he's had a, re- a lot of really good blog posts on uh, waxy.org, I believe is his website. But it's like, you know, it's just it's from everywhere. It's like stuff from social media sites, from Smug Mug, from Flickr, DeviantArt, ArtStation. And like, I think 8% of the images he sampled, which were just like some millions, which is still a small portion of the whole image set, were from Pinterest. So mm. it's just all over. And those images have been scraped from somewhere else or double uploaded and had the watermark stripped. You know, it's a, it's just everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no consideration to copyright or rights management or anything like that. That's not even, that doesn't enter into it, right? It's just whatever. It's like the bottom of the ocean. It's like when you do the- uh, Are you trolling? That's called, yeah. but you just troll the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, whatever. I got some crabs in here, but also everything else. But I got the crabs I want. These <laughs> <laughs> crabs are great. Um, yeah, and it's like an organization that did this. So it's like, you know, you have the, the person who made this model, which is called Stable Diffusion, there's so many layers, right? You have like Lens AI. This is a, it's not the company. Lens AI is the app. The app is Prisma Labs. They've been around for a minute. And then above that, you have the model they're using, which we don't really know like what the model is that they made that kind of like tweaks the data set, you know what I mean? To get what they want, to get the the cool girl images or like the like badass looking boy images. <laughs> but then below that you have, yeah, you have stable diffusion, which is the AI model in general. And that's actually a free open source tool. Anyone with like, a decent PC can run. I mean, it might be a little beefier requirements than that, but anybody can run it. And then above that, you have Stable Diffusion and the guy who runs that, he pulled this data from an, an like a nonprofit organization. I, I believe they're a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. who just have these giant data sets. So there's like so many layers of, I don't I want to call it passing the buck, but like if you're looking for like, whose fault is this? Right. Is this ethical? There's like a lot of different people you need to be asking. Yeah, for sure. And, and you talked about this a bit in the article where you're like, I think the barn door is already open or whatever. Like the metaphor is like the, the water can't go back in the jug in some ways, right? It's like, where do we go from here? People are already paying for it. It's already kind of like jumped past so many stages that other things would have had to go through in order to get to this point. And can it ever get back to a place where it's acting in a way that you know, artists believe is fair and ethical and that general observers, I mean, maybe general observers feel this is fair and ethical, right? Because it doesn't, I don't see a lot of people, to your point, I see a lot of people using this in my social media and my other circles that are not techie, but I don't see a lot of them weighing the ethical concerns, I would say. So are we past that point? Like, is do you see a way to kind of resolve some of those issues ever in future? I mean, I think we have to grapple with the issues and I mean, you know, depending on what your like prior I guess your you know, biases going into this are, you'll, you might be like, this is no big deal. This is cool stuff. Or like, this is an existential threat to art as we know it. And mm-hmm. I actually feel both ways, depending on what minute you ask me, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, everybody's kind of going to have their own stuff they bring to this conversation. But yeah. I will say like, there has been, not with Lindsay AI, but with the model it's trained on, this stable diffusion AI model. And so open source tool, there has been pushback that resulted in an updated version of that tool. So like a big thing that happened that kind of intersects with this whole conversation is like, basically you could be like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a badass illustrator. I'm Daryl. I'm an awesome illustrator. I do things. I draw like the original Mickey mouse style or like whatever. <laughs> I draw these great crabs. These my crab <laughs> illustrations are the best in town. And so your name is actually like a style that might be recognizable for people. So the model used to be, you could go to this and you could be like, Hey, I want like 30 badass crab images 
that all looked like they were made by Daryl. And you could like type in that artist's name and there would be tags associated with that. And people were building models like this. They were like literally ripping artists' whole styles individually. Sometimes like kind of indie artists or people who didn't even work for like, you know, giant corporations or whatever. Yeah. And then these artists would be like, they've come across this and be like, oh my God, like, what is this? This is terrible. So they actually did update the model with a version two that has, that removes the ability to like at least linguistically tag an artist to a model. So you can't mm-hmm. be like, I want to rip this guy's style. I'm going to search Daryl. Like that doesn't work anymore. But again, the horses left the barn, like all the models are already trained on the prior data set are all there. You know, all of this is already kind of out and they're iterating on it. So it's complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I admit to having tried some of that with the first version because I was like, I think I saw someone share one of the arcane, like the Netflix series, which is like an excellent, beautifully animated series. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I want to do like me in the arcane style and i think i went and built the model and like followed their instructions to install that particular branch or i forget how what it's called but you can install like someone will have the pre-formatted things if you have a gui version of stable diffusion or whatever you can like put this in a folder and it will adjust the model to that specification right which mm-hmm. is which i think you'd still be able to do under this because it takes away the keywording but not necessarily if you want to adjust the output or tailor or customize the output of the model in a specific direction, which is what yeah, Lenza has d- done, right? You can absolutely still do it. And yeah, I, I mean, one question I have with Lenza, and I don't think this is what I'm going to get an answer to necessarily, is like, their models are so good and the images look so cool. Like, what did they make their models off of? I mean, they're yeah. like an actually, like Prisma Labs, I guess, is actually a company that's been around for a while. We've written about it at TechCrunch before, but like, you know, it'd be interesting if it came out like, oh, like they ripped some other artists. I mean, I'm not saying that happened. Like, we don't know that. But like, these models are really good. Like, yeah. The images look really cool. You know, I did the one for the purposes of research and also vanity. Um, <laughs> you know, I feel really conflicted about it, like I said. But uh-huh. uh, I did the one that, you know, spits you back like 50 images. And I would say like a, like some of my friends had like horror show images. Those were very bad. And like a solid 40 of mine were like awesome looking. Yeah. And I'm just like so shocked that the results are that refined mm-hmm. out of the gate. And I mean, this is like catnip for social media, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I did. So I did the 100 block, which I think is 10 bucks Canadian or whatever. But it was, yeah, it was a very good hit rate, especially versus, because I have played around with this previously, like you said, in some of the more like, or the less accessible, I would say, ways of, of doing it. But like the hit rate was not nearly as good. Not nearly as good. So they are doing something to refine the model that is quite effective. And yeah, I have I too would be very curious to find out what it is. And maybe we can ask them and they'll let us know. We've asked them a lot of questions already about this, and they seem to be eager to answer some of the others. Because I know Haya wrote about this too this week, right? And how easy it was to trick the model into outputting essentially pornography, right? Like with non-consensual pornography using real people's faces, right? Yeah. And it says, it says don't submit nudes, you know, so they're kind of like, well, we hope that nobody sends us this stuff, but if they do, you know, our model will still output it. Like I definitely had a few friends who, I don't know if they submitted topless photos or what, but there were like a few like partial nudes. And I was like, well, those are tasteful nudes, but I'm like a little alarmed about like what's going on. under (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. So their response was that it was a violation of the terms of service, which is we already talked about it on another podcast. One of those answers that's like, okay, I guess that's all right. But like, is the Facebook Cambridge Analytica answer, right? Like, well, they weren't supposed to do that. Well, it doesn't do the thing that they did that you allowed them to be able to do technically, right? Yeah, you have to plan for how people are going to abuse whatever it is that you make on the internet, period. Like, that's just yeah due diligence. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, they are, they're trying now to resolve some of that with some post-generation kind of filtration or detection of content like that, and then auto filtration or censoring, right? And we'll see how successful they are. That is probably 
an eternal cat and mouse game like everything else on the internet but at least they're trying but i did want to talk about because you mentioned it in this article too like i mean aside from people just really enjoying these clearly there's also some other like positive outcomes and possibly things that wouldn't be possible or wouldn't have happened you know otherwise i think specifically for non-binary community or trans community like uh, do you want to get into a little bit of that yeah this is based on my personal experience so like my instagram is like very 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 largely queer people that i know I don't follow like brands very much. You know, it's just mostly a kind of small cross section of like the queer community that I know personally and a few that I don't. But I would say the big conversation, the conversation immediately was like, wow, there's this cool new avatar tool. And then, you know, the pushback kind of like bubbled up a little. But then the conversation that happened like simultaneously with that, which I found really interesting because I do have so many close friends who are trans and non-binary, was that a lot of people were like putting the stuff in the image generator, getting these images back. And they just felt really like affirmed. Mm -hmm. I mean, we call it like, you know, in the community, we call it like gender euphoria. People are like, it's kind of the opposite of, you know, what the <laughs> the media likes to talk about a lot about gender dysphoria, you know, like right. in the negative side of being like, I'm trans and I don't feel like my body represents how I feel. And I want to like kind of adjust that mismatch, whatever I need to do. But the opposite of that is feeling really good and being like, that looks like me. Like this feels like me. And I saw a lot of people expressing that kind of sentiment, which was fascinating because like that, that stuff just rarely intersects with the tech world in general. Like, yes. Usually these are just kind of like diametrically opposed. <laughs> I mean, I would kind of say that the, like the queer community is very sensitive to new technology. Like, you know, we've been jerked around enough by <laughs> corporate America and technology and everybody else that like, you know, everybody's just very sensitive to developments in technology, understandably. Yeah. So it's weird seeing people be like, this is awesome and I feel good. And like, here's my images where I feel awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I think it's definitely the exception from what we typically see, whereas like a new feature comes out and it's like, oh, good. No one over there at product development company X like took into consideration the massive potential for abuse for this thing for this particular community or these individuals. Yeah, like put one gay person in the room. You just need like one, you know, one gay person, one trans person. Just like meet one, find one on the like man on the street interview, like whatever you need to do, get that person in that room. Yeah, just one. It's cool. And they don't do that. And I no, they don't. I kind of highly doubt. They're like, "Eh, but that sounds really hard. Yeah. I, I mean, how would you find them? How would I find these people? They're these legendary people who are supposedly living mythical. their lives out there. Yeah. Where are they? It's like what searching for Bigfoot. I don't know. I feel like, yeah. It's weird. I know a lot of them, but, you know, I do. I guess they're very difficult to find. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, this is another thing I would be interested to hear more about from Prisma, right? Like they at least gave enough thought to introduce the three radials or whatever options they give you when you go through the flow, right? Where you have like a, I think it's a gender selection screen, right? Or like gender identity selection screen and it's like male, female, or what was the other option? Did you? So like you go through and you're like, okay, so like 10 to 20 photos and you do that. And then it's like, do you want, I think it says male, female, and then. It might say neither. I mean, like, I wasn't affronted by how whatever language they mm-hmm. used. It was, like, fine. But the first time I did it, because I was, like, I saw Evie, my wife, did it. And she got these, like, really beautiful, like, very feminine images. And I was, like, oh, those are pretty. But I wonder what the other ones look like. And, like, I don't know. My gender presentation is all over the place. So, I, like, I was just playing around with it. Mm-hmm. And then I did the I did the one that was, like, you know, kind of, like, non-binary other. And actually, I would say, like, the first set of images I did were, like, less impressive. And I would, this is, like, a very small sample. So, I'm not trying to make any assumptions based off of this, but like those images I got were like less, I would say they were less good. Mm. They were less cool looking. They weren't as like epic, but also I, I might've sent different photos, you know, not enough angles or not enough variations right. in the photo set. I didn't send the same photo set twice because I was trying to get better results the second time. And the second one, I actually did the male version 
Which is funny because there's like there's like actually nothing like male about it. I think male is the language they use. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I got the images back and they just like looked cool and like, you know, they didn't even do anything weird on like my long hair or anything. But there was like one image in the 50. It's so funny. I'll have to share it with you after this. It's like there's just this dude with like what looks like a, like a patchwork coat. And it's very cool looking. And then I have just this giant beard. <laughs> it's like it's like stuck a beard, like a huge like lumberjack beard. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. But that's like the only. It's just one image, and that's the only like you know very overtly gendered experience I had right. with that that other set, which I thought was I think very it'd be, funny. it would be super interesting to see. This is again, this gets to the model. It's all it all goes back to the model because I would love to see what they specified for that because you're 100 spot on when i think about those images i'm like what is it that's masculine about them and it's like a space uh, yeah mine are like, super sci-fi like and yeah. i was like i'm a space person i love sci-fi in space like this is perfect for me because uh, it basically looks i look like jody foster recontact and like 60 percent of them um, <laughs> basically like one of them i actually look like in the movie. <laughs> um, but it's just like it's just straight up space stuff yeah so you're like okay i'm like a sci-fi nerd and the other one's kind of like nature goddess so it's like the two genders are like sci-fi nerd and nature goddess. I yeah. Think. And then the non-binary one is like, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then maybe they aren't either is the issue, right? They were yeah, just and like, like I mean, maybe hmm. the data sets aren't, I don't know what they're drawing on from that. Maybe they didn't tweak that model mm-hmm. as much or something. They did less. Sort of. Totally. Or if they're trying to draw for, I, I have no idea what it's trained yeah. on, but like I would generally assume if they're doing something that's like non-gendered like that, they would be more difficult to, you know, sort people's profile images and stuff. So it might be less data that it's trained on. Yeah. That's right. Work. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, Prisma, open invitation, come talk to us about it. Because I feel like there's like a entire series of theses in the like sociological approach that you took to making this stuff. It's very complex and very weird. But um, there's a lot, a lot of issues. And I think this is interesting, too, because it's like this is the first one. I think that most people kind of bumped up against and been like, oh, weird AI thing because we can fix. Yes. Yeah. So like, what's next? Like, what's the next? Or, like, there's other services that do this mm-hmm. that are paid um, and I think the paid part is the kind of the part kind of like raises red flags for artists, which is what I wrote in my story that I did. But like there's other services that do this and people are going to, you know, run into these models in the future. So like what's the next big yeah. viral AI art thing going to be? Is it going to be like this again? Is it going to be something different? Um, you know, they designed this, whether intentional or not, in a way that made it really conducive to going viral online. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably intentionally, but it is, I think you have the one artist quoted in your piece talking about, do I even have a job in however many years, right? Like if you're doing digital commissions a lot, is if that's a significant portion of your business, a lot of that is like, hey, I want something from my D&D character. They're like a rogue half elf or whatever. And then you can probably get that quite easily now, right? So where does that business go away? And it's going to cost a lot more because paying for human labor is yeah. more expensive because it's thoughtful. A lot of time goes into it. I mean, there's whole, like I follow a whole artist who like, that seems to be one of the main things they do. Like I, I play D&D and like, you know, they are always just doing like commissions. Like every single day they have like a bunch of different commissions. Yeah. And it's like this, it would be trivial for an AI to output this stuff and kind of put these people, especially independent artists, you know, out of a job. Cause I think the bigger, you know, the corporations who are, you know, I'm Disney and I employ a bunch of animators and stuff like they're going to have to grapple with this on an ethical level. There might be protests there might be boycotts. Who knows? Like mm-hmm. where this is all going ethically. But if you're an independent artist and you're just relying on like people, you know, in your circles and people you advertise to online to support you and buy your work, like you could get like this can make a big dent in your your income and, you know, what you do for a living very quickly. Yeah. And to your point, like versus those large companies, there's not really 
it's going to happen silently. It's not going to happen with a huge yeah. outcry or with a lot of like public support in your corner or anything necessarily. Right? And maybe I'm being optimistic that the companies will be dealing with that. But I think there's going to be, I mean, especially with like kind of the labor stuff that's going on right now, I think there's going to be a lot of companies are going to have to make statements. They're going to have to yeah. clarify you know, what percentage of their stuff is AI generated. You know, it's going to be, oh boy, this is just the beginning. ethical, like, yeah. And ethical animation. Like disclosures, and, who knows? Yeah. Or there's wow. going to be organizations. I'm sure that like pop up around this kind of thing. I mean, it's, we're, this is an interesting year. I think we're seeing the beginning of a lot of the stuff and it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it frankly is a very exciting time to be talking about and writing about and thinking about this stuff. And, you know, we've seen some positive outcomes and hopefully there will be more as well. We don't want to paint a huge doom and gloom thing, but absolutely worth making sure that the people who stand to be most impacted most negatively, most quickly are represented in this as well and not lost in the mix. But thank you so much, Taylor, for joining us and for talking about this. Yeah, no problem. Next, we have something a little different for you. We could have just told you about this week's space event, but we thought it'd be more fun if you heard it from the attendees themselves. and I work for Stellar Amenities. I'm the lead policy and client relations expert, so I'm help building our client-facing side of our, our startup. We're a hard and deep tech company that focuses on improving behavioral and mental health in space for astronauts and really anyone who who's entering the space. Awesome. So I guess when we look at today's event, what's been the most exciting thing so far? Yeah, I think the most exciting thing for me so far has been the integration of startups and government executives, company executives. It's really a fostering ground for relationship building, and I've really appreciated how startups are put on an even playing field here in terms of making business connections and learning new things. Awesome. What's been your favorite session so far, and what's been your biggest takeaway from it? You know, they've all been great. One of my favorite sessions was with the assistant director of acquisitions for the U.S. Air Force. I really learned a lot about what the government is looking for in startups and how to, to partner with them successfully, as well as how the industry is moving forward. So I guess when we look at the industry as a whole, yeah. um, what's the most exciting thing that's happening? I think the most exciting aspect of the industry right now is just how quickly it's evolving and how that speed is really opening up areas of opportunity for diversification and for smaller companies who, I work for a, a woman run under 30 company, so we're really young, but we're really talented and we come from very different areas of the world and backgrounds in education. And I think the industry is opening the door for that diversi diversification more than it ever has. 
My name is Lauren Shamos. My company is Epsilon3, and we are here to meet everyone else in the space industry, and our, our founder is also a keynote speaker this afternoon, Laura Crabtree. Well, the most exciting thing for me has been meeting all the other people who have been at this event and hearing their stories about their businesses and the industries and just understanding where they are and their own journey in the space industry. What's been super exciting in the aerospace industry about I would say the privatization and how fast we have, as individuals, been building up the industry, moving away from something centralized with the governments, like NASA and things before, and the incredible innovation that's come out of that. And I'm constantly blown away by the things that people are, are thinking up and hearing stories just from how we're, we're impacting not just launch and the things that come top to mind, but uh, in our case, like software and helping the backends. And, and then things I wouldn't even think about, like advanced safety systems for sending our actual humans into orbit. Um, the biggest takeaway for me has just been hearing about how people are, are now getting involved in the green industry and uh, especially with things, new, new ventures that are going to affect just the planet and how we're thinking about that as a whole. Hi, I'm Robin Stonecipher, and I'm Chief of Staff of People Connect, and we're a boutique recruiting firm focused on startups. So helping startups grow their company for any level, any position, for any type of company. And we also do Pitch Force, which is a weekly pitch event for startups to pitch looking for either their seed or A round funding. I think what's really great about where all industries are at this time, especially the space industry, is it's getting to be more reachable for startups to enter the space. And it's not just those big box names anymore. You hear a lot of people at all different levels of companies interacting at this event, sharing ideas and connecting and being open to that. Yes, uh, Eric Franks. I work for a company called Sysloon that has a couple of NASA contracts for lunar construction technology. So I guess my first question is, what do you think of the event? What's been exciting so far? Yeah, it's been amazing for networking and talking to people regarding uh, opportunities for collaboration and partnership on some of the some of the work that we need to do that uh, we don't necessarily need to do by ourselves, but we can work together to actually achieve these goals for, for NASA and the country. I think the fundraising session was really good. I got to hear from Mark Boggett at Seraphim uh, Space Capital and um, some of the ideas that they had regarding the change in the fundraising environment uh, are promising, especially for early companies, that they're still able to raise money, things aren't that different, and kind of a flight toward quality, I think they mentioned as well. I think the biggest thing, the macro trend that's critical for all of us here at the conference in the space industry is the reduction in launch costs that's coming with competition, particularly with SpaceX and their use of the Falcon 9 for launch of the, the Starlink satellites. I mean, over 3,500 have been launched already. Uh, and they've recently got approval for many thousand more, so it's a real priming of the pump for all of us that are trying to get to space, um, being able to just hop on a ride and get up there any week of the year that we want to. Hello, everyone. You know what? Uh, thank you so much for sticking around. It was a great program. Um, I want to thank everyone at TechCrunch for helping put this on. Thank you all very much. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to Andrew Mendez for his help this week. 
Be sure to check out all the other TC podcasts, Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. We'll be back next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.